Belcher. Welcome to Crown the Bay's Short Stories and Poetry for November 10, 2023. Hello again, my name's Terence O'Donnell, and I'm back to your digital village with more fictional stories and poetry from Medium.com. I need to do a little advertising and upfront stuff here to get it out of the way. So this once-a-week podcast is available to listen to on nearly every podcast platform out there. Also in the blog section of my website and at Kromnabeha at Substack.com. And now Kromnabeha at YouTube. My shows are free to subscribe to, but I do have a donations tab on the RSS.com webpage as seen in the link with the newsletter and on my website at www.kromnabeha.com. Think of it as passing the hat at the end of my visit to your digital village. Disclosure for anyone listening to on apps other than the link I provide in Medium.com newsletter. In order to read the stories and poems, you'll need to sign up for a subscription to Medium. Even though I provide links to the stories and poems in the newsletters, the difficulty will be reading the complete stories and poems as they're paywall by the authors, and I have no control over that. A little about me. I'm of Irish descent and a self-professed Shauna Kay, an Irish storyteller. I want you to imagine we're sitting together under the village oak tree, Cronabeha, which is Gaelic for the Tree of Life, as I read these stories and poems to you today. So, I have three poems and four short stories this week. They're of different genres and themes, fitting for everything that's going on in the world now and the season of transition from fall to winter. So now my first item here is a poem by Mariana Bosarova in Bulgaria. She published this in Scuzzbucket here on October 9th. I don't want to write about war. War separate people. Do you hear the siren? It tears to pieces the silence. I don't want to think about war, about death and blood, and alerts. I don't want even one woman to grieve about a lost lover, a killed one. I don't want even a child to run and hide because of a bomb attack. I don't want a child's heart to fear of death to be killed. But this world is too complicated. People need more and more. They always want something. People want power. This insanity never sleeps. Power craves for victims. No blood or death stops it. There is a distant shore to be reached and to be conquered. There is a city and a town and a village to be subdued. Wars are here around us. No one stops their mad rush. No one can escape their dark shadow. I don't want to write about war. I don't want to write about pain and blood, about hate. But there is no wall or barrier that can stop its plague. A very fitting poem for what's going on in the world right now. My next one is another poem, After Wandering, by Amy Lee. And this was, she labeled as a, a month of poetry, Solovagant, she writes here. And she writes this in Personal Essays of Poetry, and she published this in Growl Publication. When days become shorter, the need for light makes its presence known, and suddenly, it seems, a good idea to read and bake, and let soup bubble on the fire, but our summer selves still itch to wander aimlessly, kicking leaves and sniffing the air, for the cold we know will come, and the time will dawn when we must stay inside. Now we gallivant and traipse, biding time so recklessly, as solivagant and solitary our moods. We spend spring's coins we do not have, because snow will be here, and hibernation will begin nature's foreshadowing, and woolen sweaters accompany all soldiers, 
find themselves knotted at our waist, we humans, so infinitely cavalier, march in the traces of rivers, creeks, and streams, acknowledging a certain mood. Deer and squirrels and hummingbirds move toward winter directives. We watch wildlife making plants and move in and out and around a stand of birches, ignoring our chores, soaking in those last specks of blue and sunshine, warming our cheeks like being hugged by a loved one. We played long enough and squandered sweet hours. Now it's time to stack wood, take the coats out of mothballs, launder extra quilts, and the darning of socks. Do you think our boots will last one more season? Fill the lamps with kerosene just a bit more to mark off Autumn's list and pray that there's still time. Now that's a seasonal poem. This is a really nice one. And this one is called Gods of Terra and Terror. We Can Crawl Out of Our Shells and Rebrand by Crystal Rivers, Ph.D., published in Illumination back on October 17th. A poem for those who died needlessly in war and hate in 2023. Let's take a walk, said monotheistic God. Let them know all are one, none odd. Mother Earth nodded. Of course, we are life. All was a garden, no clubs, no bloody knife. All images of God smiled down on the land. All was beauty, grace, peace, as if divine plan. The folks sharpened rocks, some gathered grain. A few gathered shells, razor sharp, self-contained. But then some man, thinking he was most wise, proclaimed, Look up, let us take blind fire from the skies. Let us call this one Yahweh, an almighty power. They slashed animals sacrificed on altar and tower. Of this I am unsure, Gaius said, is God's loving consort. He said, worry not, they grasp, for their lives are so short. I guess so, sighed Gaia, but her spirit felt splintered. She sat under an oak, her body broken and injured. In time, another mortal man raised his voice. Let us call our Lord God, see our enemies destroyed. They're encased in hard shells, encircled, gleaming with fear while acidic hate whirls within and weakens the sphere. The Lord pondered this. This is not right. This is wrong. I shall send compassion, an immersion, rebirth, and song. A few then found love, allied with the notion. Some called their Lord Allah, our beloved of devotion. An inspiration was sent, but men bent to their spears. Then guns, then bombs, poisons, and high-tech engineers. They consumed earth, claiming they do exalt her. Burnt flesh piled high upon grisly altar. Gaia's hot tears filled the ocean. Her pity swept the seas. All over the earth, mankind fell to their knees. Alliance to hate others, a sad and insecure source, brought them to worship, not God's, but their own brutal force. God and Gaia locked eyes. Fire will char their own sacrifice, not just floods this time, but cleansing blaze will suffice. You don't mean to destroy them? Gaia asked. Because of semantics? Three words for one life and their clueless ape antics? Their way was doomed when they began burning this world, perhaps when we lit the stars or gave them the grit to form pearls. Still, Gaia wept. Their mistaken names were the catalyst. God looked at all love, galaxies swirling like nautilus. Look at your own gown, once velvet and green, lost sapphire skies, once golden fields, no food left to glean. Look at our creation now blackened and bloody. Look at those babies' bodies, in rubble, ash-covered and muddy. I didn't ask for three names, Yahweh, Allah, or God. To kill life for this is both brutal and flawed. Your fever didn't destroy them. It was their own shells. We didn't destroy them. 
they did this to themselves. Now we're going to start reading stories. This one is called Take Me Home, a sleepy romance between two restless souls by Nerdish Rights, published in Bouncing and Behaving Short Stories on October 7th. Every midnight, Cade frequented the 24-7 fast food joint, but never for the food. With its warm artificial light, sparsely filled tables, and muffled radio tunes playing in the background, Cade preferred its muted interior, perfect for someone with sore, watery eyes and a cotton-filled head. As he sat beside the window, munching on the salty, limp chips that turned to ash in his mouth, he observed his company for the evening. There was the broken-hearted on table number four, her mascara dripping like candle wax as she sobbed into her burger. Then there was the tech-possessed teen on table number seven, laughing at a movie on their sticker-infested tablet before choking on their food. But a few tables away, on table number one, sat a regular, a full-figured girl with lavender hair and a rock chick leather jacket. Every night she ordered the same two meals. To his relief, she never had a plus one to share her meal with. She bit healthily into her burger, her smile glowing with relish. It was that smile that made Cade's insides drip like honey, sweet and oozing with unfiltered joy. Boosting himself up, Cade held onto his tray and approached her. As the girl licked the sauce from her thumb, he asked if he could join her. She froze, her face painted with embarrassment and horror. She grabbed a napkin, hiding her mouth. Kate apologized for his abruptness. He tripped over his words, struggling to form a coherent sentence. To his surprise, the girl giggled behind her napkin. She crunched it up and told him to take a deep breath. Kate smiled with relief. She twisted her lips in thought. Her response was a word association test. Kate readily agreed. Food, necessity, passion, numbers, dislike, narcissism, wish, love. Kate's cheeks flushed at his last answer. With a warm smile, the girl inclined her head forward. As she adjusted her tray to accommodate his, she revealed her name, Vanya. Kate admired her features discreetly, the cute freckles on her nose and cheeks that looked like a galaxy residing within her skin her matching purple eyeshadow and sharp curved black eyeliner, but the dark circles and red rim eyes confirmed Kate's observation. So, what brings you here at this late hour, Vanya asked, submerging a chip into her ketchup tub. Homesickness, Kate said, swallowing a half-troop with a burger bite. Vanya nodded. This place isn't quite home, but it's close enough. What do you miss about home, Kate asked. Vanya consumed the ketchup-soaked chip. Nature, sitting in the dirt, sketching the flowers dancing in the wind, breathing in the oxygen from the trees above. I'm sure there'll be nature at the new place, but it won't be the same, you know? You? City. The speeding of passive-aggressive cars. The disco lights of the traffic and shop signs. The flooding of laughter and music on the street. Hearing and seeing the bustle of life always makes me feel less lonely. I hope I get to experience that again wherever I find myself, Kate reminisced. Vanya held up her soda. I'll drink to that, to a place that makes us feel at home. Kate bumped his soda against hers. They conducted a chorus of slurps. As they ate, their stomachs ached with laughter while sharing moments about their families who travel with them. Kate's heart leapt every time Vanya laughed. Their meals were finished, but from the sparkle in their eyes, their conversation wasn't. There were now two hearts yearning for more. They stepped out into the cool night air. Not a soul dwelled on the street. 
and suffocating darkness, only the moonlight guided their way. As they strolled, exchanging their favorite movies, a convenience store invited them with a blink of light. Fanya had an idea. Holding bags filled with snacks, Fanya led Kay to a park she loved. As they laid down their jackets on the hill, and Vanya busied herself preparing a night picnic, Kate admired the stone fountain in the clearing below, surrounded by circular benches. Through the sounds of crunching and chewing, the two exchanged embarrassing but nostalgic stories of their childhood. They settled back on the grass, staring up at the sky that was shedding its midnight blue skin. Slowing down and enjoying the moment felt alien to Kate. For the first time, he felt his muscles relax, no impending clock ticking in his mind. He sighed a little too loudly, making Vanya giggle. Transfixed by Vanya's presence, Kate's heart exposed itself, the words resting on the tip of his tongue. I wasn't always like this, Kate started. He felt Vanya looking at him, but he stared ahead. I was the typical nine-to-five guy who loved the boring loop of life. But that all changed after I met Sabrina. She was the kind of beauty people wished for, but she wasn't my type. That wasn't until I saw her beat my high score at one of the arcades. She was exciting and sweet, and then she wasn't. The first time she woke me was when she heard something at the door, but there was no one there. The next night she woke me again because she was thirsty and her leg was asleep. Then she interrupted my sleep every night. There were nights when she would force me to stay awake because she was scared of being alone at night. I was too exhausted to continue working. Sabrina never let me sleep during the day either. Everything was such a blur. The anger faces, the horrible arguments, regretful words I said to my family, the accidental nail scars she left on me. I couldn't live with someone so unhinged. I packed up and left. I don't know if she stayed when hell broke loose. I resolved things with my family, but I still couldn't sleep a wink. In the dead of night, I could still hear her waking me, shouting at me. I don't know how to get her out of my head. Kate swallowed hard, his heartbeat playing drums in his ears. He avoided Vanya's stare. Just listen to my voice, Vanya whispered. Kate listened as she spoke. You probably won't believe this, but I used to be a self-conscious kid. In school, everyone would pick on my weight and make jokes whenever I ate in public. I stopped eating in the cafeteria, found my own sanctuary in a secret garden room. My sister reassured me that it was a phase and that adulthood is better. But there is no stop button to discrimination. It's funny how easily people think they figured you out. They see your weight and watch you eat, and bingo, you must really like your food. No one believes you when you say that food has nothing to do with it. I tried dieting and everything else but I never felt good. I'm not ashamed of myself anymore, but I still struggle to eat in public. I don't eat during the day, and my hunger keeps me up at night. I'm human after all. Kate sat up. Don't take this the wrong way, but I like watching you eat. Vanya snorted, but he continued. People eat to fuel their bodies or fill awkward silences, but you're the one person who's always present, who actually enjoys what they're eating. You make everything look delicious, Kate complimented. Vanya sat up, meeting his eyes. That is the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me, she said. You deserve more, Kate whispered. Vanya blushed, hooking a strand behind her ear. Their smiles glowed brighter than the moonlight itself, their heartstrings intertwining together. Kate led Vanya to his place a few blocks away. His apartment was anything but white minimalistic walls. They relaxed on his bed, facing each other. Vanya propped her elbow on her pillow, keeping her head in her hand. Do you ever feel afraid of sleeping? And once you close your eyes, you'll drown in the thick darkness and never wake up? No, but that clearly didn't happen because you're here with me, Kate teased. Vanya smoothed out the creases of the dovet. What if I don't want to wake up? 
What if I don't like my new home? Kate smiled. Then we'll dislike it together. Vanya rolled her eyes, but her smile had returned. You and your comebacks. She scooted a bit closer. Kate's heart missed a few key notes. When we wake up, will you find me? Vanya asked. Of course. I want to be the first person you wake up to. Vanya's cheeks flushed a pretty pink. Kate sighed. I wish I could kiss you right now. Vanya's lips curved up. Save it for when we meet again. A familiar heaviness pressed on Kate's eyelids. Vanya's eyes flickered open at intervals. Final test, Kate suggested. Vanya nodded. Sleep, overrated. Animal, penguin. Music, acoustic. Likes, you. Kate widened his eyes. A sleepy smile spread across Vanya's face. I like you too, Vanya, Kate answered softly. As the world awoke from its slumber, Kate and Vanya fell sound asleep. Kate, wake up! Kate awoke to the gentle humming of a machine. He caught sight of his big brothers peering down through the glass. He's awake! Kate could make out his brother's muffled words. A pipe retracted from his mouth, making him gag. The machine drank up the cold liquid, covering him with a swoop. As the glass shield slid open, Kate sprang up coughing. In the bright fluorescent light, a woman with a lab coat checked his vitals. She mumbled something to his brother before her heels clicked away. Cade noticed his mother and father wearing tearful, relieved expressions. Welcome back, bro, his brother said, gently pulling him out of his pod. When did you all awake? Cade croaked, but was interrupted by three bodies pulling him into an abrupt hug. As they pulled away, his brother explained, A week ago, we landed on planet Illyria. Everyone woke up except you and a few others. All we could do was wait. We thought we lost you, he said. His guy's growing misty. Cade enacted a handshake with his brother before pulling him in for a deeper hug. As his family marveled at how beautiful the planet was, a name echoed in Cade's mind, Vanya. Do you know where the others are? Cade asked his brother. Probably on the next floor. Why? Cade rushed out. He searched the neighboring rooms, but everyone was wide awake. He rushed up the flight of stairs. An announcement echoed above. Welcome, Earth inhabitants, to planet Illyria. It's currently 2054. We hope you enjoy your stay. Thank you for traveling with the Galadia. Cade peeked into the room windows on the next floor, but came up short. As he walked back from the farthest room, he caught a flash of purple. Cade burst into the room, ignoring the surprised glances. He tracked down that beautiful purple and found the source. Vanya stood up in her pod. A woman eased her out, steadying her by the arm. Cade couldn't suppress his wide smile. Vanya gazed around anxiously. Her eyes found his. She mirrored his smile. Cade slipped through the crowd to her. He drank her beauty in. Vanya interlocked her fingers with his, her warmth seeping into his palm. Found you, Cade said with a laugh. Vanya giggled. I never had a doubt. Cade gently tugged her hand, pulled her into a kiss. The kiss was the sweetest thing he had ever tasted. The warmth built from a match flame to a bonfire, melting away the memories of his last heartbreak. Nothing tastes like ash anymore. On a new, unknown planet, Cade didn't know if it'd ever feel like Earth. But at least he had Vanya and his family, his real home. There was one thing he was certain of. A good night's sleep was in order. Now this story is from a Canadian writer. And it's titled Sanctuary, a science fiction novel. The story of two teenagers trying to survive apocalypse. By Robert G. Longpre. Carrie and Anne, seniors at high school, return to their respective homes on the same street, only to find their homes abandoned. 
Carrie's family had moved on to the street, which was a miniature crescent of one block when Carrie was ready to start kindergarten. Anne's family had already been living on the street for a few years. Though they had been best friends for almost 12 years, they weren't exactly boyfriend and girlfriend. The past few months had been a trying time for both families because of a mysterious disease that had been slowly spreading through the city. More than 90% of those who became ill had died. Age didn't matter. Everyone was vulnerable. Though Carrie had never been sick, his parents had him wear a mask because it was the only way he was allowed in school. Anne had the usual childhood illnesses, none of them very serious, and like Carrie, she wore a mask whenever she wasn't at home. Carrie was good at sports, but was only interested in running track and cross country. Anne had been on the senior girls' volleyball team until the school district had shut down all team sports because of the virus that no one had been able to identify. Anne had red hair and a pale complexion, featured freckles on her face and arms. She wasn't the most beautiful girl at school, but that was okay with her because she was a popular student, one who had a smile for everyone, regardless of whether they were freshmen or seniors. She refused to be in a clique. Carrie had dark brown hair and darker complexion. He was handsome in his own way. He was quiet and always stayed out of the limelight. He was fiercely independent and intelligent. He stayed at the bottom of the honor roll, though he could easily have been at the top. He had his father to thank for that wisdom. The mysterious disease had begun to pick up speed. There was no doubt, looking at the latest death numbers, the human population was headed into a dark age. Crime was increasing, as was the general lack of trust and a growing anger at the world. Safety had eroded, placing the survivors at risk of becoming casualties in the growing level of violence. This is the world in which we find Carrie and Anne. Follow along as I tell their story of survival. I'll be publishing three chapters a week beginning later this month. So far, I have 15 chapters written, enough to take me to the middle of November. As more chapters are written, I will add them to the queue. So, th as, as he says, he's going to be writing more chapters. So, as I find them, I'll be bringing them to you. Now, this is a scary story. The tree had scratched its initials into many children over the years, but no one ever thought that it would eat one. This is from Twisted Tales to be read before bed. As you might very well imagine, it is a horrifying occurrence to have one's grandchild hewn down in front of one and made into a bench. But to then have that bench placed in the shade of one's own leafy branches for any fool to sit upon, well, one must draw the line somewhere, mustn't one? Insult upon injury. That's been the story of the oak's long life's insult upon injury. In the days of its youth, a bearded, beady-eyed, axe-toting villager had viciously hacked off one of its limbs to make the flagpole for the town square. And there it still stood, standing tall and waving proudly, though little wonder it was made of the finest oak. But it was disconcerting to have one's own disembodied arm waving back at one from a distance. And then there were those who came along and gathered up its acorns, the very seeds of its unsprouted children, and carted them off by the basketful to who knows where for God knows what's purpose. It didn't bear thinking about. It didn't much mind the little girls who gathered the leaves that fell in the autumn. It was done with them after all. They were there for the taking. But the boys, who hung on its branches and shook with all their might, like crazed rabbit orangutans, with no thought whatever for how they tore at the leaves, cut at the bark, and broke the small branches. For them, the tree harbored a deep, malignant hostility. Of course, a quick snap of the wrist was all it took, and more than a few noxious pests had been flicked off, like pesky flies, to hit the ground with a satisfying crunch as their own weak limbs broke like brittle dry twigs. The tree had scratched its initials into many a rough, ill-mannered child 
or fool with a pocket knife over the years and have been pleased to see them leak their own red sap. Perhaps, then, it was not so surprising that after 312 years of abuses, significant to minor in every shade in between, the tree had had enough. And so it was a very unfortunate thing for young Owen Wonderling, who was not known for his endearing qualities even at the best of times, that he chose this August afternoon to walk the path that led to the bench on the hill beneath the old oak. Little wonder that he was in a sour temper as he walked, for he was nearly always sour, and this sourness leaked out of him in ways the juice does from a rotten tomato. He kicked out a lizard sunning itself on the path, missing narrowly, thank heavens for the lizard, which only served to further sour his demeanor. He picked up a discarded stick, and with vicious swings, batted the heads off the late-blooming touch-me-nots, a meadow sweet which the tree liked to look upon. From a distance, just out of limb's reach, he flung stones at a squirrel's nest in the highest branches. Perhaps most unfortunate of all for the sour young Owen was the very last decision he was to make in his short, sour life, to sit upon the shady bench. Had anyone from the town been looking, what they would have seen next might have turned their hair white, but no one was. No one saw that one moment Owen sat upon the bench, and the next moment he did not, with only the briefest rustle and crunch to signal his departure. And for many years to follow, though perhaps not quite so many as it might have been had he been a little sweeter, the town would wonder what had become of poor Owen Wonderling, whose sour face now sneered at the world from inside of a milk cart. My last story is a science fiction, as David Pahor is famous for. It's called The Strange Place, Only the Truest Friend Can Give You a Deadly Gift, by David Pahor, published in Illumination. The ground was not yet hard in mid-October, as autumn meticulously exaggerated its role of Indian summer. Maintaining balmy temperatures with its glowing orb above, only at night relinquishing the atmosphere to winter's frigid scouts. In the last days before leaving for the traditional cyclist's yoga vacation, she was finishing her packing, breathlessly planning adventures beneath Santorini's picturesque horizon. I could see that in her unfocused pupils, radiant face, and how she dreamily spoke of the strict daily schedule, early bedtime, natural food, and risings at dawn. I met her in the parking lot and gave her a bag with printed articles about the Akrotiri village, the Bronze Age settlement dug up from the cement-like ash by Professor Marinados, ash that had preserved almost complete buildings of the Minoan style. The latter did not interest her in the least, but after sending her the files, I wanted to meet her in person for the last time. She swiftly discovered the additional large hypodermic syringe and a small bottle beside the paper bundle. What's this, she said. Don't worry, it's a contingency plan. She looked at me uncomprehendingly. Look, it's an off-chance insurance, I lied. I always have one with me. Just, just fill it up to full when... When what, she asked, raising her perfect eyebrows. I rushed out with it, pulling the band-aid off my soul hurriedly. If you get stranded on the island and the radiation sickness gets real bad. Her eyes flashed as if seeing me only then. You really are a weirdo, she explained, marching off her brunette pixie bob held proudly high. I felt terrible about how we parted and that she had taken the carrier, and I like to imagine it made it to the ancient Isle of Thera with the medicine. Later Greeks marveled at the ruins of the bull leaper's palaces, believing giants had built them. No one will gaze wonderingly at our rubble. There is a reason the galaxy is devoid of intelligent life. Soon we all became ill, and her memory was washed away by pain, and finally injected oblivion. 
Still, there was a fleeting, vivid image of her, wearing the white visage paint and red spots of a priestess of Potnia Artemia, but the dying brain is a strange place. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. I try to offer everyone a variety of fictional stories and poetry, which this was all seasonal for the most part. And maybe, you know, hopefully one of these poems or a story will touch your heart. My parting song for this week is titled Sunset Dreams by Clanad in their Banba album from 1993. Until next time, Slantia.
Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of Krona Beha Stories of Poetry next week. Share this podcast with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Search for Krona Beha Stories of Poetry in your favorite podcast app. I hope I've achieved my goal on helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree as I try to entertain you today. As a shot of cake, I want to continue to delight you with a story or poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. Bless you and yours, as well as the cottage you live in. And may the roof overhead be well thatched, and those inside be well matched. Shlanga foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish. <laughs>